Perhaps I will preface my lesson tonight with a few thoughts, and that is our media may help us with a few things, maybe some points along the way, but this particular lesson needs an open ear to hear. So if you have a notepad, you might find a word or two to write down, but I want you to register it in your heart, the innermost part of your heart. Amen. I'd like to offer this scripture and then I'll expand on it. And we'll begin in the book of Acts chapter 15 and verse 28. And the King James Version reads, For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost, this was Paul writing, and to us, both to the Lord and to us. Who would he be referring to? Spiritual leadership. The apostles. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to your spiritual leaders to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Just by way of context, um, this position of writing addresses the Gentile believers who were in Antioch. Uh, Verse 31 of this letter notes that this was given to those in Antioch. For a moment, review with me the wording, no greater burden than these necessary things. No greater burden. Which means that there are necessary burdens. You can deduce um, the wording of Paul. It does not mean the removal of a burden. He was not talking about removing burdens, but we decided to lay upon you these necessary burdens, something you had to carry. This particular word here, burden, comes from the Greek word baros. It just means weight or an abundance of something you had to carry. The word burden, however, has other meanings. It can mean the burden of authority. At times, Paul would use the word responsibility or personal responsibility. The burden could be your personal responsibility. Here is Galatians 6. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. The NIV says, for each one should carry his own load. Now that word burden comes from another Greek word. It comes from the Greek word fourteen, or fortion. And it means a task or service, something you're accountable for. Or you're accountable to someone. So there's a burden there also. So just review this word. A burden is a weight. A burden is a responsibility. And sometimes it is a duty. So tonight I'm teaching you the blessing of a burden. The blessing of a burden. Sometimes that word, as I spoke, indicates authority. That you have an authority. Can you imagine that there's a burden? It's akin to having authority. 
Our initial scripture points to the requirements of keeping yourself to keep yourself. In Acts 15, Paul was saying the burden was meant to, to be a set of requirements. Your burden is tied to holy living or the requirements of living a holy lifestyle unto the Lord. So the verse went on to say, or the script went on to say in verse 29, here is your necessary burdens. You abstain from meat offered to idols. This was moving away from false doctrines. This was disassociating from those things that, that um, connected them with false doctrine. That was paganism. And from blood, from strangled things, from fornication. So they were outward and inward. They were sins of the body. From which if you keep yourselves, everyone say keep, you shall do well, fare ye well, keep. So again, the keeping of yourself is your burden for you to carry. Everyone has a responsibility to keep themselves. It is your burden to keep yourself. But the most common interpretation of a burden is that of a heaviness, a struggle of life, a weight of a situation. When someone has a burden, it's the weight of a situation. That weight could mean that you're dealing with the wounded spirit of another person that may be hard to mend or from your own wound. If you're dealing with someone else, that burden often manifests itself in, into intercession where you're praying on behalf of someone. The burden of a backslidden family member that cannot be mended, that's a burden. A prodigal a person who opposes themselves. All of these are burdens. This burden can be the knowledge of a life which you cannot redeem, but you carry the weight or the knowledge of their failing and destructive choices, these burdens. The burden in whatever capacity that might be presented shapes our lives more than anything that I can think of. The burden forces us into positions where only God can help us. It often makes us bend our knees and cry out to the Lord. Work itself, working for a wage, comes from the burden of paying a bill. And this may not seem to be a burden, but things cost time, your time, your effort. So these burdens have the ability to lead us. They can drive us somewhere. In fact, a burden can lead us into humility like nothing else. The weight of knowing can be a heavy thing. Perhaps ignorance is bliss. Maybe childhood innocence is a wonderful thing. But there's a time when you put away childish things, Paul wrote. The burden can work for you and can mold you. Now to be true to the lesson and the wide view, the panoramic view, the burden can also bring you to a life of bitterness. I don't want to submit that all of it can bring blessing. It only brings blessing if you accept it and see it for what it is. Yes, it can lead us into deep intercessory prayer, but it can also turn us away from God in anger. And may I say that asking God a question about life is far different than questioning God. I can ask him all the questions I want. He is my Lord. He is the light of my life. He's my Father. I can ask him questions. Why, Lord, has this happened? 
I need an answer. And sometimes he'll answer me, and sometimes he will not. But there's a difference between me asking him a question and me questioning him. I'm not given or allowed to put God on trial. I can ask him questions, but when I question him, I'm putting him on trial. He is still the Lord of all, even if my life does not work out in my perceived, limited, or temporal favor. He's still the Lord of all. He still wants the best for me. He's still looking at the eternal value of what I'm going through. So I'm not going to shake my fist at God if he does not if, if he does not do what I think he should be doing or if I don't know what he is doing. But when I stand in those situations, when the burden is overwhelming, I hope you can hear this now. It leads me to something and I begin to quote the scripture of Psalm 61. I'll read it to you. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. It comes from a burden. For thou hast been a shelter for me. When do I pray that? When I'm in a burden and a strong tower from my enemy. When do I say it? When I have a burden, a heaviness. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert. That means shelter of thy wings. You, you will pray different prayers when you're under the burden of life. The burden of life leads me to Psalm 61. The burden for people who are lost. The burden for my family. The burden for my children. The burden for people who are entangled. The burden for marriages that will not heal or heed godly wisdom. That's a burden. Or for young people. The burden for young adults who rebel against wholesome living or lifestyles. Or they're shunning godliness because they think they're going to miss out on something only to find out it's too late that it's too late when they're snared by the enemy and they bear the cost later in life that the world imposed on them the enemy of your soul never shows you what the cost is when i preach and teach but those who will not hear it or pay attention or take notice of it it's a burden to me and all of us have burdens i'm burdened by many things I'm burdened by so-called spiritual people who are toiling with things that do not matter. I'm burdened by division. I'm burdened by half-hearted believers. I'm burdened by advances of the world against the minds of my children and the minds of your children. It burdens me. I'm burdened by the lack of spiritual interest. I'm burdened by an all-out pursuit of material things. It burdens me. I do not sleep. I cannot turn away. And that burden, believe it or not, becomes the blessing of my life. Because it keeps me focused on what really matters. Jesus looked at the multitude. He had compassion on them because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. It moved him. He felt extreme weight of their misdirection and aimless living. The burden. It might not look like a blessing. But it might be the only thing that ties you to the altar. It might be the only thing that keeps you hungry for God. You're probably going to struggle with my next line. But I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to speak it. We usually do better, seek God more in times of want than in times of plenty. I've seen grown men weep at the altar that have never weeped or cried before when they lost their job. But in times of plenty, those same weeping men have dry eyes, they're a little cold, they might even be withdrawn, maybe even indifferent. When they got the new job and the new check, The crying stopped. (laughs) 
The desperate need for God ended. It's a rare thing for people to thirst after God, to groan after the Lord, or to run after the Lord when they are full. But when you are empty, when you have nothing left and no resources, and no, all the counselors are out of words and all the doctors are out of medicine. I'm not saying this is how it should be, but that is the moment when all you have left is the Lord. The burden becomes your pathway to the altar. And there's nothing like a burden to clear the pathway to the altar. We have a lot of things in between our lives and the altar. God wants to remove those things. And if we don't remove them, perhaps he would lay something on us so that we would seek him and seek the altar. A prayer time, a prayer room, our prayer closet, a prayer at home. Yes. Who knows, but perhaps it is the burden of your life that will save you in the end. Yes. I'm increasingly leery of the carefree life. The carefree life falls into several categories. I'll expose them. Maybe I won't exhaust them, but I'll expose them. This life says you get what you deserve. It's what you deserve, but it's also a facade. It's carnal living. The carefree life is interested in itself. And I don't think that we're the first nation or country to develop this thought, but maybe better depicted as an ideology. We are certainly enamored with it. We're enamored with this idea. From bath soap to coffee. Uh, I, I, I just remember the, the, the small phrase, some bath soap, take me away, Calgon, or something like that. Is it Calgon? We produce and promote products in an effort to reduce stress. Our common thread is the pursuit of a life of ease. But I never prayed prayers in ease like I did in emptiness. When I'm empty, when I'm hurting, my prayers change. Let me say that no one deserves anything. Just to dispel this idea. No one deserves anything. The cross has already been given. That's as much as you'll ever need in your entire life. We never earned the church. We didn't earn the Lord or the Holy Spirit. In fact, before we knew him, he was dying for us. No one deserves freedom. Billions of people live in this world and give thanks for things we throw away. When I hear believers say, I deserve better or I deserve to be treated better. No, you don't. Who told you that? I say, why? A thousand places have suffered horrible leadership and disjointed communications and all kinds of horrible things. It's not petty, but we don't even deserve a good sound system. I can remember the old sound systems used to crack and, 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 and not all the woofers were, were in place. And, you know, there's been many harsh pulpits and even hateful pastors. What did you do to earn better? I deserve better. No, we don't deserve better. Change that thought. We're blessed in a way. And sometimes I wonder if we're blessed in such a way that it becomes our undoing. Because we have an unrealistic expectation. Some folks have walked away and walked out and said, well, it wasn't as great as I wanted it to be. 
The problem is we don't value and we've got to start valuing our time here and our time to hear the word openly because there could come a day when we can't live stream this because it's deemed as hate speech and this book could be outlawed unless it's gender friendly unless it's user friendly deemed by someone in some place that doesn't have a fear of God so I would say we need to value the time if you're watching this tonight I want you to value this moment because these are precious moments that we don't deserve and we may not always have and so if we ever say, well, you know, I was looking for something better. Hold on a second. Wait a second. Just do a little research. It won't even take long. We still have a wonderful opportunity. We don't live in China or Central America. Check out Venezuela tonight or the greater portion of the continent of Africa or Russia or all of the Slavic countries or the entirety of the Middle Eastern nations or a decent portion of Europe. That's most of the world. What do we deserve? Tell me that again. What is it that we deserve? Because the absence of a burden, whatever burden that means to you, if you have the absence, then you think about things that satisfy your own Spirit, your own flesh. When the burden leaves you, it's the, there's a danger to it. The absence of a burden, it's dangerous not to have a burden. Whatever the burden means to you, it might be the only thing that drives you into repentance or thankfulness or even to patience. Remove yourself from a burden, you'll lose patience. You'll be anxious. It's instant gratification. Look at James. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. James did not say that the bounty of your life or the fulfillment of God's promise worketh patience. But the trying, that means the testing of your faith. If your faith is never tested, then you'll be missing a key element of the fruit of the Spirit. Untested faith leaves you depleted of spiritual nutrients that you need. Untested faith produces anemic believers who become doubters. Untested faith is a detriment to your walk with God and can literally crush your commitment. No test means no learning, no learning to lean. No testing means no learning. You don't know what you know until you are tested on what you are, you've been taught. Anything worth learning comes with a test. You don't even know if you love God until you're tested. You don't know if you're committed until you're tested. You don't know if you know math until there's a test at the end of the book. You don't know your continents until at the end of geography class there's a test and there's a big piece of paper and you've got to name the continents. Nobody knows what they know without the test. No test means you don't have any introspection looking inside of yourself. I remember, I can, I can better remember the days of his provisions even when I'm sitting in times of despair. I can remember. 
You go to that son who left his father's house. He didn't even think about his dad. He didn't think about his father's house. He didn't think about the servants and how much food they had. As long as he was living the carefree life. But when everything ran out and he was sitting in the swine with the swine eating the husk. He remembered that. And the burden of his life became real. And it drove his memory back to the provisions of the father's house. When you have a burden in your life. I just want to teach this because I know my, my blood's already boiling right now. <laughs> when, you, when you're depleted, it's going to awaken something in you. Yes, it can drive you to anger and bitterness. But if you allow it, it can drive you back to the throne of grace and say, I need you, Lord, more than I ever. I remember the night. I remember the day. I remember the service. I got to get back to that. I remember my, my shout, my praise. I remember what it did for me. So if you're seeking for carefree living, well, you've lost me. I'm, I'm lost. Even in the early years of my life, there was a there were things that I, that I didn't understand completely. I think I know what they meant. They were trying to say, I think. I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. But it was this promotion of laying your burdens on the altar. I think I understand. I think they meant the things you can't change, give them to God. He'll bear our sorrows and our griefs. He'll give us victory. I think that's what they meant. Maybe. But it morphed into leaving burdens, Period. I hope you can understand this. You don't want a leader or a pastor who doesn't have a burden. You don't want anybody standing behind this pulpit teaching or preaching or leading anything without a burden. You don't want any Sunday school teacher leading kids and teaching kids that don't have a burden for children. No. Carefree leaders become prosperity preachers who preach that material gifts command God's return. And how many people have been misled by that? Of course God will repay you. God has, he carries no debt. You'll never give anything to God, time, money, resources, or talent, that he will not bountifully bless you in some way. It may not be an in-kind return, but he will always return something to you. You'll never, God never carries a debt on his books. You'll always end up owing more to God than he ever owes to you. But my sacrifice before him cannot be a sacrifice if I receive everything back. That's right. <laughs> and if I think that I'm giving so I can get, then I've neglected the blessing of the burden. Let me just offer a few things about that carefree living, carefree lives and what they cannot bring. A carefree life will never bring about change. If you want change, it's going to come through the way or the process via a burden. No one gains anything without resistance. Your muscles never develop until there is resistance. Nor does your spiritual walk, nor does your faith without resistance. Unless something is pushing back on you, you won't understand the value of what you're doing, nor will your spiritual body. A carefree life will not intercede on, the, on behalf of the lost because they are comfortable where they are. It will not offer itself on a cross because that is a major sacrifice. If I don't have a burden, I cannot identify with Jesus Christ. It knows no personal sacrifice because its premise 
is that suffering is to be removed. This is the way of many Christian churches today. Many evangelical churches have fallen prey to this lie. Because to them, the suffering means that God's not pleased. And depletion means they're not doing right. See, carefree living seeks entertainment, fun times, good times, and pleasures. Carefree living speaks without a filter of the mind or the mouth. It says, I can, I can say whatever I want to because I feel like I can. Sometimes it masks itself in religious or spiritual activities because it uses select scriptures to remove itself, itself from accountability. That's carefree living. Let me just give you a side note. Never trust any voice that has no accountability to another voice. A person who is accountable to spiritual authority is safer and more centered or balanced than one who is not. Are you hearing all this tonight? Am I going too fast for you? Okay. It's on podcast, so tomorrow, just pause the button every once in a while. There are many things that suffering brings and a burden brings that nothing else brings. In fact, the disciples were in Jerusalem. They were, they were having a great time in Jerusalem. All the city was filled with the doctrine. In fact, that was the accusation against Peter and John. You filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. But if Jerusalem had never experienced persecution, there would have been no worldwide revival. The trial, the suffering that happened in Jerusalem caused them to scatter. And that burden of suffering became the vehicle of a worldwide revival. And without the scattering, the uttermost part of the earth, Antioch, all of that would never have happened. People would never have heard the gospel because it was the burden that was levied upon them that scattered the gospel throughout the world. They were at the Tower of Babel and they didn't want to leave because they were all together. They were in Jerusalem. These at Babel were heathens, humanistics, Humanistic men and women. These at Jerusalem were spiritual, but both liked where they were. There was no scattering. There was no spreading of the gospel. Because until God sent a persecution against them, they were prone and apt to stay where they were. All of these things, the trial of your faith, suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of his sufferings, carrying one another's burdens and so fulfilling his law. All of these things are clearly spelled out in the scripture. God did not intend for us to be on a perpetual vacation. We like our vacations. We like our downtimes. We like our weekends and our three-day weekends. But God never instituted that. In fact, God's law... Man was supposed to work six days and rest on the seventh day. <laughs> well, my joy comes by way of the knowledge of God. Let me just say this. I want you to be careful about joy. I'm not advocating a life without joy. My joy comes from the knowledge of of Jesus Christ, that the mighty God is in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself. He is my joy. Come on now, the Lord is my joy. I do not have to wait for the outcome of a prayer to find my joy. No matter what the outcome is, I still have joy because I choose joy. Joy doesn't jump on you. 
Joy is what you choose to put on you or to put in you. Now, happiness is different than joy. If I could parse these words. Happiness might be able to be bought, but it's fleeting. But joy comes from the hope I have in Jesus Christ. Happiness is surface, but joy is deep. Happy talk and happy things are momentary, but they bring no lasting satisfaction. But the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's knowing that I am born again of the water and the spirit that brings me joy. Don't ever confuse the presence of a burden with the absence of joy. They are not mutually exclusive. I have the joy of the Lord and I have a burden for the church at the same time. I rejoice in the Lord and I weep over the lost both at the same time. His joy never brings me into sadness. It's my obsession with being happy that leads me into sadness. That's why many people are very sad and depressed at Christmas because they remember all the happy times. That's understandable. That's an emotional track of the human heart. But my joy is different. It doesn't come from my from my earthly experience it comes from my choice and God I can carry a burden and have the joy of the Lord as my strength all at the same time his joy is my pursuit I want to enter into his joy but I must not be selfish with this salvation it was meant to be shared prayed over given to someone else and those who have heard it and rejected it then leads me to the burden the burden I'm burdened by the condition of our world I'm burdened by the things going on in our world. I'm burdened because the signs of the times, of the end times, are all around us. It's unbelievable. It was, I think it was in the 1980s, the one-year Bible came out. I don't even want to go down this road too far. The one-year Bible came out. And, and we've, been, we've been reading this. It might have been the 90s, but it was, it was early 90s. The one-year Bible. I've got this Bible. And, and, and the same, this same incredible thing happened. God... God was trying to show the church we just haven't been reading the scripture. And on 9-11, September 11th, which is soon to come here in a couple of days, 9-11, many, many years ago, 2001, and 9-11, something transpired in America that forever changed the whole world. It changed the whole world. And politicians got up and they, they, they took their fists like this and said, we will rebuild the sycamore that's been broken down. We're going to make it stronger. We're going to make it better. And they quoted Isaiah. They quoted the book of Isaiah. But the book of Isaiah wasn't a book of, that wasn't a promise. They were quoting scriptures of men defying God. You tore us down, God, but we're going to build better. That wasn't a promise. That was men standing up against God. You broke us down, but we're going to build up these blocks. These stones are going to be better. And our politicians got up on all sides of the political spectrum and they quoted the book of Isaiah, never knowing that was a curse. And in our one-year Bible, every September 11th, we've been reading Isaiah. In fact, the exact scripture that they quoted, we were reading that for years before September 11th. We were reading that on September 11th. I can show you a whole bunch of things that you might say, well, that's trivia, that's trivia. But you stack them all together, I'm telling you, it's irrefutable truth. The signs of the times are all around us. Earthquakes and pestilence and wars... And things that we have never seen before are happening right now today. And I go back to the scripture because we all love 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people which are called by my name. But let me just go back again one more time to verse 13. God said, listen, if I send famine or if I send an epidemic, 
Here's what you do. You humble yourselves. We're going to quote 714 and we don't even know what it means. It means God said, I can send famine, which is all over the world. I can send an epidemic. We call it a pandemic. Here's what you ought to do. Humble yourselves. Seek God. The burden of our nation and our world ought to grip us. It ought to move us. It ought to at least shape us and make us flee a carefree life. This is not a carefree life. This is a life of joy in the Lord and a burden for the lost. This is rejoice in the Lord and a burden for the, for the nation. I'm burdened by the condition of our world. Not because of politics necessarily, but because our nation has rejected Jesus. My burden is to share the love of the Lord. To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To lead people to repentance. To lead them to the waters of baptisms. Carefree Christianity always comes without the commission. No one ever follows the great commission when they're carefree. Because the great commission invades your time. It invades your Saturdays. It messes with your Monday night football. Your fishing. NASCAR. I'll just keep naming until we get crochet. All right, whatever. Real followers understand the value of the burden. It's a blessing because it pushes you to pray. It pulls you into the sacrifice of God, which are a broken heart. Oh, the blessings of a broken heart and a broken spirit. Everything can be cleaned in your life with a broken heart and a broken spirit. The sacrifice of God are not sheep, lambs, goats, turtle, dove. It's your breaking of your heart before God. I need you, God. I need you, God. You want to be clean? Break your spirit. Break your heart. Nobody can do that but you. Yes. I'll just tell you through the scripture, and you know this already. Some of you just knew it by, by your own biblical reading. Some maybe just can perceive it. But Jesus lived with a burden for the people. In fact, he saw the future of Jerusalem and he wept over it, cried over it. When the Bible repeats the same phrase, it means greater emphasis. It's like to the power of. In math, it would be to the power of. When he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I would have gathered you like a hen gathers her brew, but you would not let me. His burden was clear. Our burdens help us keep our passion. And I believe that through the process of the burden, there does come rejoicing. The root word for rejoice is joy. Simply put, to joy again. Rejoicing means to joy again. Rejoice. It comes through the, the carried burden. A lost son or a lost daughter returns. There's a celebration joy again people return to the church the the slate is wiped clean it's a celebration joy again a prayer is answered rejoice joy again let me just say anyone can return to new life all they have to do is say this is my church i'm going to be devoted you're my pastor i'm going to be faithful Let's wipe, the, let's wipe the chalkboard clean. We're starting over again. We're starting over again. Anybody. A little humility does the whole thing. And mine. If I could be humble, it does the whole thing. Anyone can get back to God if they humble themselves before the Lord. Before the Lord. So, joy... It's there, but it doesn't mean that it's absence of the burden. Watch this now. But after the celebration's over, 
And there's been many celebrations. There's been many returns. A new burden and a new intercession is made. All of it with its responsibility and pressing and weight and trial and testing. The father's burden in the prodigal son's parable, which is really probably mislabeled, but for the sake of our understanding and identification of it, the father's burden caused him to look for his son's return. And the understated words of that parable were these. When he saw his son afar off, he ran. Herein lies the revealed burden. I was watching for you, son. I was praying you would come home. I was hoping for you to come home. Every day I looked for you. I wept over you. I cried. And when I saw you afar off, it's because I've been watching for you since the day you left. These are the understated words of the parable when he saw him afar off. It was not meant to be a random sight. It was an intentional, deliberate action of the father that declares the father was looking for the son the whole time. The blessing of a burden is is an oxymoron to most people. I hope none of you fall into the trap of seeking to get rid of the very thing that ties you to the bleeding side of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that we are without peace or hope or laughter or success or victories. All those things can be ours. But our most natural position in life is not the spiritual position. Our natural position is the flesh. It's selfishness. It's seeking pleasure for ourselves. And we need a burden, ladies and gentlemen, to stay focused in this last day of time. I can still remain positive. I still have a positive spirit, I hope. And I can carry the burden at the same time. I can believe, but I carry the burden at the same time. Because the burden for the lost does not produce a negative spirit in me. It produces love and compassion. My burden is to love and have compassion because that's the way people get to God through love and compassion. The burden produces a life change. It's a purpose change. I'll give you the prophet's words. They're detrimental to his day. I hope they they will not apply to us. When Amos rose up and spoke out, he said, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. I'll read another version. Woe to them who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure in Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Woe that you are ease, carefree living. I'm urging you, ladies and gentlemen, to pick up the burden for lost people, for one another, for the church, people that are on their way to a devil's hell, lost for eternity, unbelief, bound by pleasure, bound by fear, doubt, pains, hurts, abuse, generational conflicts. The burden of the body must shift from what pleases us to what pleases God. I met a young man and his fiance. Together, combined families, I think they might have four or five children. I was talking to him, and he's terribly lost. And it's very obvious to me, though I'm not really, uh, uh, I'm not skilled and I'm not an expert on the subject, but it was very obvious that he, that he um, is caught in the snare of drugs. And... Uh, and I started talking to him about life 
And then I saw him again. I've seen him several times now. Saw him again. And, the, and, and this time they were both in the car. And, and, and they said, we, 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 we wanted to say something to you because we're moving to the other side of this other uh, neighborhood anyway. And, and he said, we, we're, real, we're really interested in, in, in what you talked about, you know, and helping people and even the food pantry and different things at your church. We drove by it. And he said this to me. Uh, I think I need to get to know you. Uh, pardon me, I, I, I know people don't want to hear this. and I just, If you don't like me, this will help you. Not like me more. I said, you need to know me, man. You want to know me. You want to get connected with me. I'm going to tell you right now, I know a lot of people. I got a lot of resources. I got stuff I want to give to you. You No one's ever give anything to you like I'm going to give to you. I'm going to help you with your life. His eyes are real big. She's in real big. He got out his phone. Can I have your phone number? I said, you can have my phone number. I said, just text me who you are. And, and remember, he had lost a bunch of drones. He had lost like the like second or third. I said, did you lose your drone again? He said, yeah. And his wife said, his fiance said, that was a third drone. I said, okay. He said, I know you're a pastor. I just don't know your name. I said, okay, here's my number. Here's my name. Give me the names of all your kids because I got something for you. Nobody, you want to know me. You need to know me. Oh, I can see, I know he's in drugs, I know they're messed up, but I, I have a vision for them, I got a burden. I walked away, and I said, I got a lot of people who have eaten this book all these years, and I got to find somebody that doesn't even know who Jesus is. I got to find somebody who's never, never tasted of the fruit of the Spirit. I got to find somebody who needs the Lord. The burden of my life driving me to look at that man and look past all the mess. I've met him two or three times now. Never seen him with a shirt on. I know exactly what he looks like. <laughs> That's right. But I'll tell you what, something got a hold of me. I've got to have a burden. You know, some of my burdens come from the evil things that are said. And the disparaging remarks that are said. But those aren't the burdens I need to carry. Those are just the things that weigh me down, but they're not a burden. And I got to wade through that. I got to wade through that to get to the real burden. Because the real burden is connecting with people and loving people. And you and them and us together. If I can, if I can carry the burden of, I got to please the Lord. I want to please the Lord. I want to I do whatever he wants me to do. I want to wait on him. I want to serve him. I want to I praise him. Like a, like, a, like a waiter at a fine restaurant, always in attendance. Have you ever been to one of those fine restaurants? Come on, I'm not talking about Applebee's. I'm not talking about Outback. I'm talking about the restaurants where you got four waiters. And one guy just walks around. I've been to one of those before. It was in it was in Minnesota. It was a phenomenal restaurant. I didn't obviously I didn't pay the bill. The people took me to this very fine. I think and individually it was like one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars per person. One waiter just all he did was fill up your water. That's it. He just waited. If your water just got a little bit down like that, boom, he was right there. You turned your head and it was like perpetual glass of water. 
There's another guy with a little scraper. You eat a piece of bread. He comes along, scrapes all the crumbs. It was a phenomenal thing. I used my fork. Boom, another fork appeared. I just kept using more forks, more forks. It was like, it was like a Kleenex box. You just kept pulling out the Kleenex. Forks, forks, forks. I realized someone's washing these things now. I better stop. They're waiting on you. They're waiting. Whatever you're doing, they're responding. Whatever, whatever you do, they respond. That's how the church has to be with the Lord. Whatever way he's moving, I'm responding. I'm waiting for you. I'm watching you. I'm hearing you. But I'm afraid that we come in and we're, we're asking the Lord to wait on us. We're asking the worship team to wait on us. When you come into this house, this worship team is not here to entertain you. They're just leading us like a parade around Jericho. We ought to be saying, thank you, Lord. I'm glad you're singing. I'm getting behind you and I'm going to march with you. Because I'm waiting on the Lord. When you have a burden for the lost and you have a burden for people and you have a burden for prayer, that burden is going to mold you. It's going to mold you. I can just say this. If it's in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, just do it. Those are his words for our life. Just do it. And in regard to this lesson tonight, I'm trying to learn not to despise the burden. Oh, the burden of people. I, I don't, I'm not asking you for sympathy or, or, or pity because many of you probably do the same thing. I probably haven't slept a whole night through three or four days in a row for years. Three o'clock in the morning, 3.01, 3.50, four o'clock, sometimes on the dot. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when I went to sleep. And someone's face is in my mind and I'm wide awake. I was up 4.30 the other morning and I started to pray for people. And I just start praying for people. And I was thinking of people and I had a large list. And I waited until about 6 o'clock and start texting everybody. Some texts came right back. The people were awake. Because I had burden for the church. Especially in this time when normally we're hugging, we're loving we're, we're holding each other. Our altar services have been interrupted. Because in typical times of new life, we start with an altar service. And in the middle, we have an altar service. And at the end, there's an altar service. And I want to get back to that. So this has been very disconcerting. What do I say? One text went out early on in April. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm just thinking about you. Hope you're doing okay. And, and it, was a, it was a remark that I didn't need to hear. It was a remark kind of snide. Maybe they didn't even know that. And I felt like maybe I shouldn't be, maybe that sounds too condemning. I'm praying for you. I'm, 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 I'm burdened for you. I'm okay, pastor. You don't have to pray for me. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I, I didn't say that out. But then I got convicted and I went ahead. I've been, if I have a burden for you, I'll just say I have a heavy burden for you. If you don't have anything wrong, just say praise God. Got a heavy burden, just receive it. You can just count me as being kind of loony. Maybe, I, maybe I'm not in my right mind. So I don't, I don't really know. All I know is that if you're at home... Love God at home. Serve God at home. You see, this whole thing, God wanted to teach us something, and he has taught us something. 
He wanted to get out of this out of this box. He wanted to get out of this church. He wanted to get in our homes. He wanted our homes to be spiritual vessels. He wanted our homes to be worship centers and prayer rooms. But whatever God does, the devil has an answer too. That's why Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Whatever God means for good, the devil try to use, tries to use for evil. And the devil's going to use this for evil to separate the body. I got a burden for the body. I got a burden for you and me. Yes, yes. I don't want to despise that burden. I don't want to shake it off. I know what they were trying to say. Leave your burden at the altar. I don't, you don't want me to lay my burdens down the altar. You want me to carry them around. And I want you to carry them around. And if God puts you on my heart, uh, I'm sorry, if God puts me on your heart, I want you to pray for me. If God puts my children on your heart, I want you to intercede for them. And don't lay that burden down. Don't ever lay that burden down. Carry that burden around. That doesn't mean you're depressed. It doesn't mean you're negative. It doesn't mean you don't have joy it means that when you're alone you are thanking God you're praying a hedge of protection a burden is going to call out them from the darkness a burden is going to a burden is going to bless them a burden is going to keep them it's going to keep you I want to say to everybody if you can get a hold of a burden it'll make you more spiritual than you've ever been if you get in times of, of want and you don't have it all together that's a burden that's a good thing I'd rather you not have a job and try to figure out how you're going to pay your bills and love God than have everything paid and all the money you ever want and sit back and never do anything. I'd rather see you with a burden and desperate for God and hungry for God than for you to have it all together and never worship and never pray and never come to the altar and never seek the Lord. I don't want God to throw you into a mess just to get your attention. But if he does get you in a mess, I want you to stand up and say, I need you, Lord. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to shake my fist at you. But I'm going to open up my hands and say, you're trying my faith, Lord. And I'm going to come forth as gold when it's done. You give me a church without a burden, I'll give you a superficial people that doesn't care about anybody but themselves. You give me a congregation of people who are carefree and live in plenty and never have any issues or act like everything's okay. I'm going to give you a people who are carnal and the first time there's trouble, they're going to accuse God. I'm telling you, if some of you have been in trouble and you've been burdened and you've been weak and you've been wandering and you've been suffering and you've been in temptation and I want to tell you, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're right where God wants you to be. You're empty and you're low and you're seeking God. You're doing great. In fact, you're doing better than the people that have it all together because they're not praying like you're praying. They're not hungry like you're hungry. And I don't, I'm not advocating not sleeping all night through. But if I never get another good night's sleep because it's a burden, so be it. I'm going to get up in the middle of the night. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to go back to bed. I'm going to pray that God helps whoever I'm thinking about because the Spirit needs to do a work in someone's life. It's keeping me. I don't know. Listen, I don't know if the prayers are helping you, but they're helping me. I don't know if my struggle is helping you, but it's helping me. It's blessing my life. I've got to have the Lord. I've got to have God. I've got to have the Word. I've got to get to Psalm 61. Lead me to the rock as higher than high. I've got to be covered under your shelter, Lord. 
Woe to them that are at ease in Zion because you got it all together. I want to tell you what, I pray we never get it all together. I pray we're still hungry and striving and thirsty. I pray we never say, we got a nice church, we got enough people. No, we don't. We don't have a nice church and we don't ever have enough people because people are souls and they need to be saved. And the church doesn't mean anything, but it's a tool in the hands of God and it's never going to be big enough. I love what Brother Reitzel said Sunday. If you weren't here for the first service, he had two testimonies. They were different testimonies. The first testimony, he said, was very good. And the second testimony, he said, was also good, but it was more factual. And he said, this has been a great thing because we've doubled the size of our church. Now we have twice as many seats as we had before. Praise God. We didn't even go through a building campaign. Man, the building campaign came and went. You didn't even make a pledge. It's done. We doubled the size of our auditorium. Now we got twice as much room for twice as many people that are lost and hungry and don't wear shirts and don't have clothes and don't have their lives together. Jesus didn't even come for the up and outers. They rejected him. He said, I don't come for people who are well. I came for the sick. I came for the needy. And if the good people that I wanted to come won't come, go to the highways and the byways and compel them. Go to the highways. Go to the hedges and compel them. Yes. 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 I'm almost through here. And I didn't, I just want, I didn't mean to get this emotional. So, I just, I'm, I'm walking around with burdens every day and the heaviness of, of life. It doesn't mean I don't laugh. It doesn't mean that I'm not having fun. We, we went to my dad's birthday party on Monday. We had, family we had so much fun we dad bought a I think he bought a croquet set so we could play volleyball <clears throat> and the volleyball that he had was a cloth volleyball we had to air up it was not really good volleyball and the croquet net is only this big and it's very flimsy and we we put it up and we divided up teams and Scott has his hat on and <clears throat> Ross He's so handsome, and Reagan and Grant and Max and the boys and all the all the guys were out there. We're we're playing playing volleyball. And Dad lives on a behind him is a country road and a and a car with tons of young teenage girls drove down with their windows down. They hooped at us. I looked at Scott. <laughs> they came back up. They went back down. Came back up, finally stopped. The first time, Rossi waved, and of course they went crazy. The second time, they included, the, the, when they stopped, they talked to all of us. They asked us if, they, if we knew of any swimming holes and if we want to go swimming 
I said, man, it's God. This is great. <laughs> we, we ain't been invited. We ain't been invited to go swimming. <laughs> For 40 years. <laughs> I said, Scott, keep your head on. Keep your head on, man. Keep your head on. <laughs> I, I ain't got a choice, but maybe this think it's die or something. I don't know. We knew they were talking to us. <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that. It's, it was a good time. We denied them, by the way, and we told them to get a hose and just put it over their head. They, they drove away. You know. <laughs> we can laugh and we can have joy and I think the church needs to rejoice. We need praise breaks. Now, some of you are going to think this is conjured up, but we need a praise break in this house. Dancing praise break. Now you could say we're praise, we're dancing to music. I don't really care. I just like the I just like the music. It helps me because you look a little silly dancing without music. All right, I'm already messing you up. Just want you to know you need a praise break. That doesn't remove your burden. I'm going to laugh on Monday, but that didn't remove my burden when I was driving home. I was still thinking of all the things I needed to do and all the people I needed to reach and all the folks that are really not coming around right now because they've lost faith. They didn't lose. They, some of them didn't lose faith. Some folks are just nervous. and afraid. I, I get that, but I'm talking about some people who've lost faith and they're losing God. And I'm burdened for the lost people of our world. And I'm burdened for all the things that are happening in our world. I'm burdened. I'm burdened for us. I'm burdened for my kids. Because when I had my family time this morning, 8.30, I talked about walls. I told them about the walls of Jerusalem. Because they built the temple, but they didn't have any walls. And because they didn't have any walls, there was obscene sacrifices made in the temple. You can have a temple, but you don't have any walls. You don't have any protection. Walls don't look like much. Everyone wants to tear down the walls and argue against the walls. But if you don't have a wall in your life, if you don't have some outward protection in your life, if you reject holiness and godliness and righteous living, eventually your heart's going to get corrupted because all kinds of things are going to come in and out of your life. I was talking about that. You know why? Because I'm burdened for my children because they're living in a world. It's different from my world where everything is a computer screen and anything can come on that screen. They don't even do their homework now without a screen. They don't even, they don't even, they don't communicate without a screen. But anything can come on that screen. So my burden is for my four children. And I know Nico was 13 and we've already had a celebration because Roman turned 20 and we said he's a man. You're a man. <laughs> I don't know. But I know this one thing. I got a burden for them. I'm praying for them. I'm seeking God for them. I'm seeking God for you. I hope you're seeking God for me and one another. And we have a burden for one another. And it helps us with compassion and a burden for the lost. Because there's going to come a day we're going to wake up. And the coming of the Lord is going to be pressing so hard against us. We have to take advantage of this time. We got to say it's not about us. It's about the world. It's not about me. It's about the world. I've got to find somebody. I got to do something for the kingdom's sake. Please stand. I'm through.
Oh, Jesus, help me. Help me. Just for a moment, I just want you to pray to God that he would help you. I want you to pray for yourself. No one can do it but you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, for the body. In Jesus' name. Oh, Father. Oh, Lord. Help us to keep our burdens, Lord, and not shirk them off. Let them be responsibilities, Lord, that we carry, Lord, I pray. Yes, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Hallelujah, Savior. I just want you to think of one person that you know needs prayer. I want you to start to intercede for that one person. Just think of one person. It might be your own family member. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, someone in the church that's ill and needs prayer. Maybe somebody in this house is ill and you need to pray for them. You don't have to walk over to them right now. Just pray for them right now and in a prayer of intercession. Pray that God would give you a burden if you don't feel a burden. Pray that he would put upon you a burden for the lost of this world. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Bring great unity to the body, I pray. Bring us closer than we've ever been before, Lord Jesus. Help us to hear the words that we heard on Sunday, Lord. Help us to apply all the things we've heard on last Sunday, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. I'm asking you, God, right now. Do the work in this house, Lord. Mold the church, Lord. Help us to lean on you more than ever before, Jesus, I pray. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Let's just lift our hands and thank the Lord. Come on, just thank him. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's meat on our bones. It nourishes our lives. Reconstructs, Lord, our mind. Let the neural pathways of our mind, let them be reformed tonight, Lord, into a vision of the kingdom, I pray. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.